If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Did you crack under the pressure? Did you show strength? Did you get angry? Have you blamed other people? You see, I'm a person that believes that we create our own experience. I don't think there are accidents in this world. But what's forward going to look like? Well, hello, everybody. It's Dr. Phil. You are listening to Fill in the Blanks. This is May 12th. We have passed 50 days, 50 days in quarantine. And I know you've got a lot happening in your end of the world because some of the states are opening up in little bitty steps. Some are opening up in bigger steps. Some have protesters in front of stores, beaches, capital steps. Things are just really popping. And I think I know why. They're popping because people are reaching their limits. They're reaching the limits of what they can put up with mentally, emotionally, just psychologically, socially, familially. They're reaching their limits on what they can put up with. We had hundreds of cars lined up at Pico Rivera here in California at food banks. Lots of pressure on food banks right now. People coming with masks and rolling the windows down. Gallons of milk being handed inside cars. These are things we haven't seen since the Great Depression in the 30s, but they're happening now. Prospect, Pennsylvania, 1,500 cars lined up at food banks. We've got over 30 million people now registered for unemployment, probably the highest ever. You know, we compare these to some earlier times, but our population has grown in the last 40 or 50 years, tens of millions of people. So you have to adjust all of this, but we're talking about around 30 million people unemployed, filing new claims for unemployment. And look, here's what I'm saying and what I have been saying. We need to get back to work. We need to get the world turned on in a responsible manner before the cure becomes a bigger problem than the virus, the disease that it seeks to knock out. If the cure is worse than the disease, then have you really gained ground? Look, am I one that just says, hey, forget it. Let's just blow this off and let's just run back out there and get back to our lives. Absolutely, unequivocally not. I won't do that. I haven't done that. Robin and I haven't done that. Our boys haven't done that. We're not recommending anybody do that. But it is time to responsibly start moving towards getting this world back in gear, getting this economy turned back on. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, and I do a lot of reading, I really, I don't read popular press so much as I do the scholastic journals and all. And this is one of the first times in a long time 
that worldwide we have shared a collective consciousness with regard to what we are all dreaming. That's right. I'm talking about dreams here. And this is something that it's really interesting when you see something that cuts across cultural lines. If people are having the same dreams in England as they are in Turkey, as they are in Lithuania, as they are in Brazil, as they are in the United States, as they are in Canada and Germany and Sweden, if you go all around the world, you look everywhere, and you see that there is a theme to what people are dreaming, that means something really significant has taken stimulus control of our consciousness. Because I'm one of those people in the mental health professional that believes that our dreams are an extension of our consciousness. And what do I mean by that? I mean, when we're awake, we can consciously distract ourselves. We can consciously suppress certain things that might be on our mind, certain fears, certain threats, certain concerns we choose not to think about because we focus on what's in front of us, what we're doing that day. But when we go to sleep... We drop our guard. And when we drop our guard, then some of those things that we've been holding down come bubbling up. I like to think about it this way. Remember when you were growing up and you would go to a swimming pool? And I always did this. We spent a lot of summers when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13 years old at my grandparents' house in the thriving metropolis of Mundy, Texas. And that's not like Monday compared to Tuesday. That's Monday with a U. M-U-N-D-A-Y, Monday, Texas. If you wonder where it is, it's about six miles from Goree and probably eight, nine miles from Weinert. It's kind of halfway between, well, never mind. It's in the middle of nowhere, and you know, it maybe have two, 3,000 people in it at any given time. Good people, salt-of-the-earth people. I loved spending my summers there. And we got to go to the swimming pool. And one of our, <laughs> this is a crazy game. I know you've done it. And don't pretend you didn't. You know, these beach balls that are like six different colors. There's stripes of red and blue and orange and white. One of the biggest exercises we used to get into games we'd play is we'd get that and try to hold it underwater. Remember doing that? You'd kind of float around it a while and then you'd try to hold it underwater. And it would absolutely wear you to a frazzle and pretty soon it would pop up to the left and it would pop up to the right and it'd just pop up three feet in the air. You could hold it down for a little while but you couldn't hold it down. It was just physics. You, you just can't hold air underwater. It's going to come popping up. And that's kind of the way I think about dreams. During the day, we're holding that beach ball underwater. We're pushing it down, pushing it down, fighting it coming up, fighting it coming up. And if it's something traumatic, then it really wants to break water and pop up into the air. And that's what happens when we go to sleep. We stop fighting it. And so it starts bubbling up into our consciousness as we're sleeping. And what researchers have found, and I'm talking about some really good researchers here from Ivy League universities, they're seeing some rarely shared collective dreaming that really transcends these cultural lines. And what they're seeing is a lot of people are having anywhere between kind of low-level anxiety dreams all the way to full-blown nightmares. And there's a significant distinction between who has which one. And so I'm asking you, before I say any more about this, what have your dreams been? Have you been dreaming during this pandemic in ways that you can remember? And if you have been dreaming about catching this 
COVID-19. If you've been dreaming that the coronavirus has infected you and you have the disease COVID-19, then has that created anxiety for you? Well, of course it has. But in dreams, sometimes we dream in symbols, right? And sometimes we get stand-ins for anxiety-inducing events in our lives. So in other words, instead of thinking about the COVID virus, the COVID-19 disease or the coronavirus, in our dreams, we'll substitute something in that creates the same sense of helplessness, the same sense of defenselessness against it. So we might, instead of thinking specifically about the virus, we'll think about swarming bugs or ants or slithering worms. And the metaphor here is that you're experiencing something in your mind that's overwhelming. You can't fight it off. It's like trying to stomp ants at a picnic. You can't get them all. They're everywhere. And when people have anxiety dreams, the anxiety is because they don't feel equal to the challenge. They're overwhelmed. It's like, oh my gosh, I just can't fight this off. And what we have seen around the world, and they've taken like 6,000 samples, and they've learned several things. Number one, people are having these anxiety dreams. And most of the people They're low-level anxiety dreams where they just feel a little overwhelmed and they wake up feeling anxious and they're not sure exactly why and then they remember having this type of dream. All the way to full-blown nightmares where people just wake up absolutely in a cold sweat. Maybe they're screaming or they're crying. And who's having those dreams most frequently? First-line responders. Those people that are on the front lines those people that are up against it and dealing with it every single day, they're not having as frequently as most people these low-level anxiety dreams. They're having the full-blown nightmares because they're feeling overwhelmed. This, to me, as a mental health professional, tells me that we're starting to really hit the limits. We're starting to bump up against the boundaries. We're starting to see cracks in the foundation of our personalities, of our coping skills, of our ability to deal with this. And that's what I mean. Is there a point at which the cure becomes more devastating than that which it seeks to overwhelm, overcome? 77% of the people report that they're sleeping less during the pandemic than they were before. And We haven't seen this kind of collective dreaming, consistency collectively among people since such events as 9-11, World War II, the Vietnam War. That's when we were seeing this type of thing, and so we're now seeing it again. Now, it's really important that you realize the magnitude of what I just said These are the kind of dreams that survivors of Hiroshima were having. These are the kind of dreams that people were having associated with World War II and the Vietnam War. And you think, well, all I've been doing is staying home. Well, while you've been staying home, you've been worrying about getting infected with what you have been told, to some degree accurately, is a deadly virus, depending on who you are and what your health is and how you're configured. And you've been watching the world economy just collapse around you. These are very devastating things to people that hold themselves accountable for 
taking care of their family. So this is a big deal that you're having these collective dreams with people around the globe, and we haven't seen that kind of consistency among dreams since such events as Hiroshima, survivors of World War II, 9-11. Think about it. That is, I think, a pretty big deal. I think it's a pretty darn big deal. Now, what does that mean? What do I want you to do about that? Well, you know, number one, I want you to realize that it's very important that you get good sleep and that you try not to let these dreams or these nightmares overwhelm you. And you say, well, I'm asleep. What do you want me to do, Dr. Phil? I'm asleep. I can't fight it when I'm asleep. No, you can't fight it when you're asleep. But you can program yourself not to suffer from it before you go to sleep. There's a guy that specializes in this, a Dr. Bruce. He talks about his five tips for setting yourself up to get good sleep during this pandemic. And by the way, he and most people will say, if you're getting five hours or less, that is not enough. If you're getting eight, nine, or more, that's not great either. You know, your best is around seven hours normally. Now, if you're infected, you need more because your body is in reparative mode. But if you're healthy, you can oversleep and you don't want to do that either. And he has some good tips for this. And I'm going to give Dr. Bruce credit for these. I think you can find him on the internet under Sleep Doctor. But he says, number one, give yourself a 90-minute electronic curfew before you go to bed. Good idea. What he's saying is what we do with our kids. I talked about this with you guys last week. We phase ourselves down, right? You don't just be in a dead run and then just dive in bed and expect to fall asleep because you're all geared up. You're racing. And he's saying, have a 90-minute curfew before you go to bed. Start slowing down. And don't be watching these god-awful horror stories about the pandemic right up until the minute you go to sleep. What do you expect to dream about if that's what you program yourself with? Number two, he says consistency is very important. If you normally wake up at 6 or 6.30 in the morning, stay with that. Continue to wake up at 6 or 6.30. Go to bed at the same time. Get up at the same time. Now, you've heard me telling you for weeks and weeks here that you need to maintain as much of your regular routine as you possibly can during quarantine, not sit around in sweatpants and not brush your hair for a week. You need to get up in the morning and take a shower and groom yourself. You don't have to put on your best work clothes, but get dressed where if somebody came over, which they can't, you would be ready. I'm just saying that's the test. Would you be ready to meet and greet somebody? If the answer is no, then you're not doing your job. You need to be presentable. Uh, Have some pride in yourself. But consistency is important. And number three is, he says, avoid stimulants and depressants. Alcohol in particular. I mean, come on, these things disrupt sleep. There's a difference between sleeping and just kind of conking out because you've had so much to drink or smoke so much dope or whatever that you're just kind of a zombie over there. That's not reparative sleep. That's just zoning out. And number four, it's so important that you keep up, and if you haven't done it before, that you start an exercise regimen. It's so important to get out and get some fresh air. And I'm saying, you don't have to be an athlete. 
And that's not what I'm talking about. You don't need to go join some team or be rowing up and down the river in the Hudson or whatever. That's not what I'm saying. You need to get intentional exercise. Intentional. That's a key word, intentional exercise. You can say, oh, I get lots of activity chasing these kids. That's different. That has a stress component to it that intentional exercise doesn't. You don't have to be a great athlete. You just have to break a sweat. You got to get off the couch and you have to break a sweat. And if you're going to start an exercise regimen, if you're going to start something that's vigorous, always check with your doctor first. Find out. They may say, oh, oh, wait a minute. This is the last thing you need to be doing. Check with your doctor. Make sure it's okay. You can generally do this with a phone call. They'll pull your records. They'll look at it and say, no, I, I see no reason that you can't get some exercise. You, you need to do that. And fifth and foremost, you know, Dr. Bruce says what we've all been saying, and that is be smart. Be safe. Take care. And those are his five tips for getting some good rest. And I want to talk about the importance, and it really is important, to have this exercise and to watch what you're doing while you're in this quarantine or somewhat limited, even as we're coming out right now. And that is that you keep yourself in as good a physical shape as you possibly can. Now, we've had these pandemics before, epidemics, whatever they were called at the time, and some took a bigger toll than others. But you know, there's a confounding factor this time, and that is that our society is more obese than it has ever been. Now, before you get on your Twitter account and start giving me grief for fat shaming, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that you're any more attractive, whether you have extra weight on or you don't. What I'm talking about is your health your health. And one thing that the experts tell me we have learned about this virus is that being obese is a complicating factor cross-culturally, not just in America, but everywhere. And apparently the virus feeds on some of the makeup of the fat cells and gives it power, gives it life. And so the more lean you are, the better able you are to fight this off. And so really think about that. Have you let yourself go? And if you have, don't. You don't want to let yourself go. That's why sleep is so important because, as I say, these are the reparative times. And I'm not talking about this from a medical standpoint. I'm talking about from a mental, emotional, behavioral standpoint. You need to manage yourself and your mind in such a way that you're able to get some rest. because. It's during this sleep that our body does repairs. It's kind of like you close your shop up at five and then the cleaning crew comes in, cleans everything, repair crews come in, fix the machines. It's the same thing when we go to sleep. We go into reparative mode. And it's during sleep that our what we call our killer T cells are made. Sleep speeds our immune functions. And we have a circadian rhythm that's just built into who we are. And you know what? This coronavirus functions on a circadian rhythm as well. So if we take care of our sleep patterns, if we take care of our health, if we don't give way to obesity because you know, we just eat out of boredom, then we're not going to be playing into the hands of this virus and what makes it more dangerous to us than anything else. So here we are where 
we're getting ready to start getting back out there. And I know this is going to create anxiety for people. I just know that it is because you're wondering, well, how much should I get out there? How much should I do? What's happened in the past? What's worked in the past? What hasn't worked in the past? Well, let's talk about that some. As I said, I believe we can learn what to do now and what not to do now by taking a look at what has been done and even what hasn't been done in the past. This isn't the first time we've been through this. In 1918, we had the Spanish flu that took many lives worldwide. 57, 58, we had a flu epidemic that cost thousands and thousands of lives. 68, 69, we had the Hong Kong flu. We had Legionnaire's disease. We had the bird flu. We had SARS, which was a severe acute respiratory syndrome. And by the way, SARS was very important because it taught us something. SARS was mostly occurring in hospitals and healthcare centers, and it was mostly being passed around between healthcare workers, which really taught us something about the need for us to really make great efforts to sanitize and isolate healthcare workers so they didn't spread the disease among themselves and among their patient population. This was a big wake-up call. You would think we would have figured this out between 2003, but somehow or another we had not. Then 09-10, we had the swine flu. Again, lots of people caught this, and they didn't shut the world down. And here we are now with this pandemic, but this time we shut the world down. Was that the right thing or the wrong thing to do? I don't know. I hate to be an armchair quarterback and sit and second-guess people. I have supported it since day one, minute one. You know I've asked all of you to support the social distancing, the extra hand-washing, I've asked you to support quarantine, and I've said if you leave quarantine, let's do it very, very cautiously and very, very responsibly. But I want to tell you what I really think. Just at a personal level, I want to tell you what I really believe and what I'm really going to do. I don't think one size fits all. I think there are differences in demographics. I think there are differences in geographics. I think there are differences in density. And so I don't think one size fits all. I don't think you can take the plan for New York City and apply it to Wyoming with the same confidence that it's the proper fit. To me, that's just lazy thinking because right now, The statistics that I have from worldometers.info is yesterday when we look down the list to see what the activity was in Wyoming, which is, you know, somewhere around 600,000 people, they reported no new deaths. Their total deaths that they reported have been seven. They've had 669 cases to date. They've had seven total deaths. Do you apply the same thing there 
that you apply to Nevada, who has had 6,152 cases, 10 times what they had in Wyoming. Is it a one-size-fits-all? I don't think it is. Do you use the same thing in Wyoming, which I just said had 669 cases all along and seven deaths since this all began? Do you use the same program for them that you do New York, who has had 347,151 cases? I just don't see how you can. I mean, that is exponentially more than you have in a less populous state of Wyoming. And you can say, well, you know, Wyoming is just behind the curve. They don't have that yet because they don't have the density. But as soon as they start interacting, they will get it. They never stopped interacting. They never did everything that we've done everywhere else. Now, did they do some things? Of course they did. Did they shut some business down? Of course they did. They're very careful people, and they've been game players. They've gotten in there and played the game and done what they needed to do, and they have the results to show for it. You go to Idaho, which has over a million population, a million seven, something like that. Total, they've had 70 deaths. I'm not saying that that's nothing, but it is certainly not 27,000, which is what New York has had. Now, is that because New York's wrong? Is this wrong? No, of course not. They just deal with a challenge of density, being on top of each other, dealing with public transport, et cetera, that creates new challenges. And I think New Yorkers have done an amazing job, an amazing job of doing what they had to do to turn this around. And I think Governor Cuomo, let me tell you, crises reveal people to be who they really are. And I believe that this crisis has revealed Governor Cuomo to be a leader, to be a calm individual in the middle of a raging storm, someone that has stayed the course and done what was necessary to lead this very populous state and this very populous city. I think he's done a great job. Has every call been exactly right? Of course not. We're learning about this as we go along. But what are you going to do? What state do you live in? You probably have websites you go to. John Hopkins has a great dashboard. Your local government probably has a dashboard that you can go look at. I look at mine, and I see California's had about 70,000 total cases. Yesterday, they had 1,286 new cases. They've had almost 2,800 deaths, and yesterday they had 61 new ones. Now, that is much better than it could be, and people out here, I think, have done a terrific job. But we are to the point that we have to ask ourselves, how can we get back into our lives? How can we turn this country back on? Let me tell you, there's so much pressure on the food banks right now that if we don't turn this country back on, people are going to start starving. We've got graduate students now that are putting pressure on the food banks. Graduate students. These are young people that they can't pay their tuition, they can't pay their rent, they can't pay their dorm. They just don't have food, so they're going to the food banks. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. There was a survey done recently, and they talked to small business owners. And one half of the small business owners say that they will not be in business in six months. They say it's too late. It's turned the corner. They've gone too far. There's no coming back. They say they'll hang on as long as they can. But half of them predict they'll be out of business in six months. Have we gotten to the point that the cure is going to be worse than that which it is designed to overcome? if we don't get back out there? And I think the answer is that you you really have to think about that depending on where you are. And if you're in one of these states with less density, then if I were you, I would be looking for the door and I'd be going out that door in accordance with what local government has said we can do. And I would be doing it responsibly. I would be doing it maturely but I would be doing it. There is no question that I would be doing it. And as you do, you're going to have to make a decision that this is a medical problem, not a government problem. This is something that we need to be listening to scientists. We've gotten in a situation where politics have become entertainment. And I sometimes feel you know, look, we can be as naive as we want to be. And common sense just isn't common enough anymore. We got to start thinking for ourselves here. This world is getting ready to get turned back on because it has to be. Whether you agree with it or whether you don't, it has to be turned back on or the cure is going to be worse than the disease. People are going to starve to death if we don't get back out there and start doing what we need to do. We're coming into summer. I worry so much about the children in the inner city that rely so much on school for food. Their breakfast and lunch comes from food. So we have to realize that at some point we're going to have to get back out there. We have to resolve we're going to do it responsibly, step at a time, mask on, social distancing, respected, doing the things we need to do, but we are going to have to get back out there. And are you going to be nervous when you do? Yeah. 
yeah, you're going to be nervous when you do. There is absolutely no question about that. And, you know, what's that going to look like for you? Well, you might suffer from acute stress disorder. And this happens to people that have exposure to actual or threatened death, serious injury, sexual violation in one of several ways. And if you just heard me say this, that defines all of us, right? People that have had exposure to actual or threatened death and serious injury. And it can happen if you're directly experiencing these traumatic events or you're witnessing in person the events as it's happened to someone else. Maybe your neighbor's gotten sick and died and you've watched that. It can happen learning that the events occurred to a close family member or a close friend. Experiencing repeated or extreme exposure to adverse details of traumatic event. My God. I mean, we fit numbers one, two, three, and four. And you know how many there are to define that? Four. We're hitting four out of four. Four. Experiencing repeated or extreme exposure to the averse details of the traumatic events. The internet 24-7. 30-minute news cycles on 24-hour news channels. We're being bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. It's like we've set the world up to create acute stress disorder. This is a real thing. This isn't just you're a little nervous. This is a real thing. Go a step up from that and you've got traumatic stress disorder. Now that is acute stress that lasts more than a month. This is something, again, where you're directly experiencing something, you're witnessing it, you're learning it, you have repeated exposure to it, but it goes on for more than a month and you start having intense or prolonged psychological distress. You have sleep disturbance, you have nightmares. You tend to avoid certain people or places. You're very jumpy about loud noises. Many things can trigger you, and it's like you go right back to the trauma that has set you off to begin with. There's a neurological component to this. There's a psychological, behavioral component to this. That's just two examples that you're going to very possibly re-enter this world with. And if you're aware of it, then you can do a much better job of managing it. And here's the question of the day. If you are experiencing what I'm talking about, if you are going through this and dealing with acute stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, agoraphobia, just the fear of going out there, generalized anxiety disorder where you don't really attach it to anything. You just know you're really scared and see the world as a hurtful and fearful place. If you're experiencing any or all of those things as a mature seasoned adult, what are your children thinking? They've been told that something's happening out there that's so bad you can't even go to school. It's so bad you can't have a sleepover. It's so bad you can't go to your friend's house. Okay, go back out there. What? Wait wait a minute, what? I, I, I thought you told me if I went out there, I would, might get sick and die. Well, maybe you didn't tell me that, but I heard that on the TV, or my friend told me that on a Zoom session. You've got to really be careful about what your children are thinking and wonder what their triggers are. 
if this has adults backed up as much as it does, what is it doing to children that don't have the experience, don't have the maturity, don't have the coping skills, don't have the vocabulary, don't have the ability to deal with this? We need to make them feel safe. And the way to empower them is to make them know they're not helpless. Make them know that by wearing a mask, washing their hands, maintaining social distancing, being big boys and big girls, they can have an effect on this even at four, five, and six years of age. Empower them by showing them what they can do. They don't want to just be passive. And as I've said so many times, don't even believe that you're the only voice in their ear, so make damn sure you're the best voice in their ear, the accurate voice in their ear, the compassionate voice in their ear. So here we are. We're 50-plus days in, and the world is starting to open up. And like I said last week, a green light means you have the option, not the responsibility to go. But it's time, right? It's time to do it, but do it in a responsible way. Do I think you should go to a club and get in the middle of a mosh pit? Hell no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need to start doing what you can safely do. Be smart. Be cautious. Be a role model for your family, for your children. But let's get back to work as safely as we can. If you can continue to work from home for a time, do that. If you're part of the 37% that can work from home, great. This is a big challenge for a lot of people. And I have to tell you, it's a big challenge for me. I'm sitting here now thinking, okay, we're going to open up season 19 of Dr. Phil soon. And what's it going to look like? Are we going to have studio audiences? I don't know. Are we going to have guests willing to get on airplanes and fly here to get help? I don't know. Am I going to be able to have my crew of 270 people that work on Dr. Phil able to come back and work on site? I don't know. And I have other TV shows. I'm executive producer of The Doctors and Daily Mail TV and Bull. And we have a couple of new shows that are coming out that you'll be hearing about very soon. We have a lot of different television shows with a lot of crew members. When are they going to be able to come back? To we don't know. The network doesn't know. CBS Viacom doesn't know. Paramount doesn't know. So we have a lot of unknowns too. But you know what? You have to be adaptive. You have to be creative. You have to do what you have to do. That's why I'm sitting here talking to you from my house on a Zoom session. Zoom wasn't even in my vocabulary three months ago. And now it's part of my everyday life. We always find a way. We are Americans, Jack. That's who we are. We find a way and we are going to find a way. I just know absolutely that we are. And you're listening to this on a Tuesday. So let me tell you, I'm very excited about Dr. Phil this week because we made the decision that saturation had occurred. And it was time for us to get back to some programming that is signature Dr. Phil. And I'm not talking about myself in the third person. When I say signature Dr. Phil, I mean quotations Dr. Phil that's, that's on every day, the broadcast, the program. And we're getting back to some of those things that 
you guys have been so gracious as to make us number one in the genre for so many years. And these are shows that we shot right before the shutdown, right before the pandemic. We were able to shoot these shows. And I'll give you a little inside baseball here. May is a very important month for advertisers. So they ask us to really save some of our best shows for May. And that's exactly what we've done. And we have some great shows this week. I hope you watched today. On Dr. Phil yesterday, uh, if you watch, you know that we had Cheryl and her ex-husband Dave on with their daughter Stephanie and Cassie. And Cassie is clearly an alcoholic and a drug addict. And when I say I've got the best team in television, I mean that at so many different levels because this young woman who's an adult, which means I can't tell her what to do, it came time to do her interview with me, and she just takes off. She just runs out the gate at Paramount, goes on to Melrose, and runs 10 blocks down the street looking for a liquor store. Uh, And, of course, we can't stop her. She's an adult. At that point, we become documentarians. We just document what's going on, and my people stay as close to her as possible to keep her as safe as possible so she didn't run into traffic or something. You're going to find out today, Tuesday, did they catch her? Does she come back or am I sitting down counseling these parents on what to do when they do find her? So we're going to be talking about that. Wednesday is a really interesting situation. Dina is here with her daughter who, what a bright, delightful young woman. So much so that Karina got a scholarship to college, and she went for a week. And according to her mother, she then met a boy, and the next thing she knows, she's dropped out of college, given up her scholarship, and is coming back home, smoking dope, and sneaking her boyfriend into the house. And mom says, no, ain't going to happen, kicks her out. Thursday is one of the most interesting challenges I've faced in a long, long time. This woman named Susie, who has been one of the most successful body doubles in Hollywood. She's body doubled for some of the A-list stars, the biggest A-list stars there are. And she says she came down with a mysterious illness that leaves her shaking, trembling, and convulsing unless she is eating something constantly So she eats 7,000 calories a day. This beautiful, healthy model and body double, one of the most well-known people, well-liked people on the in crowd of Hollywood, just kind of drops out, pulls back, and starts this bizarre behavior, so much so she had to have food next to her chair while she was talking to me. And then Friday, well, I can't really tell you about Friday yet, but I can tell you it's not what's listed on the website. It's something very important. It's something very special. It's something I'm very passionate about, and you're not going to want to miss it. Listen, guys, thanks for spending this time with me. I hope I have offered some perspective on what we're doing and how to get back into your lives and how to consider what your children are looking at and facing. This is Dr. Phil. This is Phil in the Blanks. I'll talk to you next week. 